0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we are set to explore another movie. And as it is Wednesday, and as we are set to explore another movie, I do have Father Mike Ritter in studio with me. So Father Mike, as always, great to have you with me in studio.
1: Hey, thanks, Joe. It's good to be here.
0: So I just need to let our listening audience know, Father Mike, that we are going to call an audible Uh (laughs) over the past few days. (laughs) I I let the listening audience know that we were going to talk about Won't You Be My Neighbor, the story about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, but uh, you and I had consulted and thought maybe it would be best to do that next week. So this evening, we are going to talk about uh, Ready Player One, a movie that is all about virtual reality. And let me say, I don't know, Father Mike, if there is any one movie we've done, and and I'm just going to make a confession that I was so enthralled with than this movie. Uh, My son kept on looking over at me. What are you doing, Dad? I'm like, taking notes. There were so many themes. Now, we cannot touch upon all of them this evening by no stretch of the imagination. But I do think, at the very least, there are some salient points to discuss as our listening audience might anticipate in the title of the movie, Ready Player One, a movie that really at its core is about virtual reality. I jumped at the opportunity to talk about this because we need to talk about virtual reality.
1: Absolutely. There's a lot there. And I think you and I are watching the movie at the same time, me and the director <laughs> and you in your house, because my... Cell phone was blowing up with yeah. text messages. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> so whether we're on the same couch <laughs> yeah, or not, this yeah, I know. continues to be an issue.
0: <laughs> I know it really does. You said come on over, and I said I can't because we'll never finish watching the movie. Yeah, I plus know. I need to help you know put kids to bed. So
1: <laughs> yeah, it really does. So the movie kind of again, kind of a common setting, common theme. This is a somewhat post-apocalyptic type of world. Uh, there has been famines, the great poverty, and all of that. And uh,
0: something similar to the Maze Runner, right? All, we all of ta- these yeah. movies, yeah. yeah.
1: And we're even told that you know after this famine and that happened, and after people stopped trying to fix problems in the world and just simply started to start try to outlive them, mm. that's really the setting that this uh, gentleman by the name of.
0: Wade Watts, the the main character. No, or? the
1: maker of the Oasis.
0: Oh, uh, Holiday. Holiday. Uh, yeah.
1: So he's created this virtual world called the Oasis, which is a place that people can escape their dreadful reality and go in and be whoever and whatever they want to be. Well, Holiday, it seems, has died, and uh, he wants to kind of bequeath his empire to somebody. And so inside of this virtual world, he set up, you know, a series of tests by which one can. Uh, find three hidden keys and the one who gets the three keys passes the three tests gets uh, a huge inheritance i think it's half a trillion dollars plus complete control of this virtual world which is the oasis so you have a young man and his friends uh, throughout the course of the movie who follow the clues pass the tests and ultimately gain uh, they they find this egg mm-hmm. which gives them control of the virtual world that's really uh, mm-hmm. in a nutshell Uh, what we're dealing with in this movie. You had made the interesting comment that this is somehow um, parodying in some way uh, Willy Wonka Uh, and the Chocolate Factory. So
0: Ernest Klein, who was the author of the book that came out in 2011, was and is a big fan of Willy Wonka the Chocolate Factory. I mean, if you were to take a step back, I mean, consider in Ready Player One, you have Holiday, the creator of this alternative virtual world, and Willy Wonka, you have, well, Willy Wonka, who is the creator of this alternative virtual world, the Chocolate Factory. In Ready Player One, you have uh, the Golden Egg. In Willy Wonka, you have the Golden Ticket. In Ready Player One, you have these tests. In Willy Wonka, you have these tests, both of which, if you pass, you will gain some possession of this virtual reality. Um, in Ready Player One, you have Wade Watts. and in, in Willy Wonka, you have uh, Charlie Bucket. So you have all of these parodies that really draw out a very similar theme. Uh, Maybe the context is a little different. Willy Wonka is a chocolate factory and uh, Ready Player One is this video game virtual reality. But in essence, it is the same. Now, what's interesting is that with Ernest Cline, you have a figure who was quite atheistic. And now he co-wrote this screenplay with a man by the name of Zach Penn. You don't get that as much, I think with Zach Penn's influence,
1: the book uh, Radio Player One* was pretty explicitly atheistic from oh, like page one. No. From
0: page one, from from page two, he's talking about evolution and that Christianity is a fairy tale. It's it's like that of Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny.
1: Well, what's so interesting about the movie, though, is this really is a story about the salvation of the world, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so maybe we've changed some of the terminology. We've. Tr- you know uh transpose the framework yeah, yeah but to our point over and over again the Christ haunted culture this is uh, a world in need of salvation and you see that drama being played out uh, so it's kind of hard to get away from that this this theme, this existential theme. Yeah, yeah. I, I was struck right off the bat from the beginning of the movie, and it's not just this movie, it's so many of these movies, uh, Maze Runner and, and everything else we've talked about.
0: Games, all of it. Yeah.
1: And, and one of the things that these movies are characterized by uh, kind of a, a despair or a real lack of hope about the future. Mm. You know, it's always the world is in decay. And so really, I mean, this is like the foundational premise I mean, the, the future is so bleak that we have to create another world and live most of our lives there just to get away from it. The idea that humanity is really uh, kind of an infection, and, uh, you know, we hear this even today. I mean, th- this is part of, I think, some of our broken consciousness, that why, why would I want to bring a child into such a terrible world mm-hmm. where the future is so bleak, and, mm-hmm. and we hear this, in such and such a year, this is going to be the state of things... But this strikes me, in all honesty, as something relatively new. You know, the, the idea that the future is not a place of hope, not a place for development of growth, but something to be feared and, yeah. and to be fleed from.
0: Yeah. You probably first saw it with who but H.G. Wells. He was the mm. first to kind of create this, this supernova world, this virtual reality. And there's something else here, Father Mike. As I listen to you, I hear you talking about the nuclear man, the man that is to be feared. And what is so tragic to all of this is the misunderstanding of who man is in light of creation, right? Man was the crown jewel of all creation. And I think where we fail is that failure to contemplate the deeper mystery of creation itself. You know, I I touched upon it last week, that life is not a problem to be solved suddenly and abruptly, but a mystery to be lived continuously and perpetually. I bring that up now because if we can begin to grapple with this truth, that you want to know what? We're not going to fix everything overnight. We're not going to be able to just outlive the problems. No, we have to address the problem. How do we do it? What is the path to better understanding who we are as human beings and how to become more human? Well, contemplation. Because what is always and ever before us is mystery. So again, Yeah, life is not a problem to be solved suddenly and abruptly, but a mystery to be lived continuously, perpetually, seeing each and every situation, each and every encounter as an opportunity to gain a deeper understanding of just not things, but man. Man in relationship to things, yes, but not man just as the destroyer of things, but maybe how man might better become a child of God in relationship to things. So yeah, are we called to be stewards of creation? Yes, but that is always to be seen as, first and foremost, a son or daughter of God.
1: Oh yeah, right. you know, and and contemplating uh, the human being and the problem, I mean, for from the very beginning, and you're doing, uh, you've got an ongoing podcast on the book of Genesis... Uh, Shameless self-promotion here. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that, that man is, you said, the crown jewel of creation, the image of God, but the one to whom creation is entrusted to be ruled in God's yeah. name. Yeah. And a lot of these movies, again, uh, humanity, the human race, is not the the God-given privileged caretaker. He, Man is the plague... Look at, uh, for example, a Jurassic World, which we did a while back. You know, yeah. like that—that—that yeah. yeah. that, that man has no right, and and I think there's something to be said for the fact that, uh, you know, we're either a problem or or, or we are uh, part of creation entrusted with this great responsibility, and we got to get responsible. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, so I think that there is a healthy, integrated way to speak of all of these. Uh, issues in terms of, of being green and caring for creation, but out of that sense of responsibility for creation. And I think a big part of the cultural narrative right now is, forget responsibility. Humanity is a problem, yeah. and you have yeah. no right. Yeah. And I would say uh, with right comes responsibility, and what the conversation really ought to be here is that uh, privileged responsibility. Mm-hmm. To me, this whole question of hope for the future and what is humanity's role, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think, is something that we keep uh, butting up against in in all of these movies, something that's very much culturally on our mind.
0: Yeah, and what is hope, but the confident assurance of what is yet unseen? Well, (laughs) if you don't have faith in God, then, well, you're not going to have that confident assurance of what is yet unseen, and ultimately, uh, you're going to lack hope. Which, Father Mike, I think a very important point here is that when you have an absence of hope, you dive into despair. And despair should never be confused with anguish. I find myself in a number of conversations on this point. So many people come to me and say, Joe, I don't have any hope in my situation. I go to God and... Wait, stop right there. (laughs) I say, you don't have hope, but yet you go to God. No, you might be in anguish and go to God, but don't say you don't have hope, If you are at the same time going to God, because if you are going to God, there's some shred of hope there. And I highlight that because I think so many of us today uh, confuse those two realities, and, and we need to turn no further than Scripture itself to see what I'm talking about here. You can go to Job, you can go to Jonah, and you see them calling out to God in their despair, no, in their anguish in their anguish. You see, there is hope present there. Yeah. And really, earlier, Father Mike, when you were talking about the mother who doesn't want to bring uh, her child into the world because it's such a bad place, in the end, all that is is an absence of hope, an absence of the potential of what your child can, can contribute to the world. And I echo Pope Emeritus Benedict sixteenth in saying this, but we live in a world that yes, needs faith, yes, needs love, but man doesn't need hope. Hope and what is yet unseen.
1: Well, and I think this is where this movie really speaks to our present age and the sense of hopelessness or bleakness about the future. Uh, because you have this juxtaposition now. You have the virtual reality, uh, the escape from the real world, and then you have the kind of pathetic portrayal of these people you know, uh, you know uh, losing everything, spending everything in like dirty clothing, playing living in this game, and totally out of touch with themselves. you know, so I, I think that this the movie, it speaks very poignantly uh, to this need to escape and to kind of find ourselves and portray ourselves in some kind of virtual way. Mm-hmm. I mean the uh, the uh, the escape to fulfillment in relationships in the virtual world that is online, Mm -hmm. uh, or in the virtual world that is the way I'm trying to portray myself that might be out of sync with who I really feel that I am deep down. I think that this kind of juxtaposition really, really engages where we are right now.
0: Yeah, and you know, Father Mike, a point not too distant from what you're saying right now is that we so often look at the social media world, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of that, as the problem. But really what we ought to be seeing is that that is simply a new platform for the already existing problem, which is our mask, right? (laughs) When you talk about what we see on the screen with this movie Ready Player One and all of the virtual reality, in the end, what we ought to take a step back and, and kind of recollect with is the simple fact that all of these virtual realities are but new platforms that manifest a preceding interior reality. Right. Hopefully, we engage all of our virtual realities with a pre-existing interior reality that we belong to God.
1: Oh yeah, and we do this. We do this in person too. We have the facades. Yes. Yep. You know, one of the interesting things in my work with people, I, I find that there there is a deep emotional poverty in all of us. And that is because we do project so much of ourselves and we want to show our beautiful side, whether that's the correct filters and the right angles on your profile picture on Facebook or what you post on Instagram, or whether that's the way we try to act around others to impress them. I think we're more and more oftentimes living in a world in which when people say, uh, Mike, I love you, I don't believe them. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't believe them because I know I have only shown you what I want you to see. Yeah. That you Um. don't know the real me, you know the virtual me, and therefore your love for me doesn't doesn't touch me where I need to be touched.
0: Well, that comes up in the movie, doesn't it? When Wade Watts reveals his love to Artemis, he says, I love you. And she says, no, you don't.
1: This isn't the real me. It's not my face. It's not my body. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting, in this... Supposed paradise where you can be anything you want, be anyone you want, do anything, be powerful. When it comes to love, the real desire is to meet the real you. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. want to meet you outside of this, of this place where you have created yourself.
0: Yeah, when Wade Watts confessed his love for her, she was frustrated. Hmm. She was frustrated because her deepest desire was not being met because she couldn't encounter the authentic Wade Watts, Mm. right? You know, someone once asked me, and and I don't want to reduce this whole conversation to just social media, but there's an interesting point to be had. Someone asked me recently, Father Mike, what is it about Facebook, Twitter, all of these online presences that doesn't allow the relationship to really build up? Mm. And the more I thought about it, the more it became obvious to me. What is essential, quintessential to every conversation, someone speaking yes, but someone listening. Mm. On Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, there's this inability really to listen. You can read, mm. you know, a, a Facebook, a text, a tweet, but you can't listen. That's you can't hear the inflection. You can't gather the persona, if you will, of the person, the personality that's coming out. And if you don't have that, what do you really have? Yeah. You have some form of false self, or not the fullness of the true self. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's part of the poverty here. Yeah. And so we live in this virtual reality that does not allow the, the true self to fully come out. And again, we're not condemning social media here at all. Right. Um, but what we are saying is that if our relationships are reduced... To this virtual experience, then something's missing. I mean, if you are sitting in this room right here, you can uh, tell me that I'm wearing a blue shirt and I've got some khaki shorts on. Yeah, you look <laughs> great today, Joe, <laughs> by the way. You look fantastic. Well, thank you. <laughs> but it's until you sit down with me and, and right. talk with me and read the expressions on my face and maybe my hand movements yeah, <laughs> yeah. that you'll get to know me. Well,
1: yeah, and this is where I think there's something very redeeming about the movie and that it, it it is not by any means a condemnation of what we're calling the virtual world or connecting to online and, and social media and whatnot. Because in the end, you know, the, the great kind of remedy is not to take the virtual world down. They don't destroy the Oasis. What they ask for, I think, ultimately is balance. We're going to have a couple days where people have to step out of the Oasis and just be with one another. Mm-hmm. There's this sense that all of this can be wonderful if it's rooted in real relationship mm-hmm. uh, so the the virtual life of the oasis or of the online world uh, it can supplement real relationships, but it can't substitute it mm-hmm. and I think that th- there is a healthy resolution there, and I think it speaks to yeah, all of these are great, wonderful tools to to connect to learn to relate, but they can't substitute what it is to be with you and to be real yeah. So I think there is a healthy uh, balance there uh, that's being proposed. Mm-hmm. I was struck by, there's a there's a great line, uh, Wade falls in love with Artemis, and uh, he's got that big buddy, who, I can't remember his name, who fixes everything. But he says, man, this is a cyber crush. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he says, and she is hacking your heart mm. to get to your head. Yeah, that was a great line. And I thought, this is a wonderful way to to conceptualize so much of the way that public discourse is happening right now. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you look at your Facebook feed or you look at uh, whatever the online thing is, and it's, it's so visceral. It, you know, all, all news is short snippets. It's emotional news. It's the quick kind of gut check. And that's kind of where we're informing and forming ourselves in terms of uh, the public conversation. hmm and I thought, yeah, you know, that we really are living in a world where our hearts get hacked mm-hmm. to get to our heads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I think that so, so much of what I get online, which is where I think most of us get most of our stuff,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so much of it is just this deep hacking of the heart to get at the way we're thinking and talking and, and living things. Emotionally and think, driven. Yeah, emotionally driven. And I, think, driven. It's I yeah. think it's a problem. I think it's a problem. And he summed it up in a very very simple way uh, she is hacking your heart to get to your head and i think there does have to be a bit of a gut check especially when when we take when we go online with serious social moral theological issues uh, but we do it in the 32nd gut wrenching appeal to emotion
0: yeah because once you tap into the person of emotion then it's very difficult to have any kind of coherent dialogue, right? Once (laughs) a topic becomes entirely subjective and not objective, it can never reason the fullness of any one truth. It's one thing to say, I can't hear you, I can't listen to you. It's a whole other thing to say, I'm so emotionally driven, I can't stand you. And some of that stuff is what's going on. I've been in numerous conversations, Father Mike, with people uh, in recent days, weeks, and months with everything that's going on in the world, they've just dropped Facebook mm. because it has become so visceral. And there's something within each and every one of us that senses something is off about this. Yeah.
1: Well, real life and real wisdom doesn't come in a 30-second nope. emotional experience nope. or sound bites. Nope. You know, one of the things that's most striking of all to me, and this is just occurring to me now, Halliday is the creator of this virtual world. And he's kind of given keys to salvation, essentially. How do we save it from this evil empire that wants to take it over for its own, you know, uh, purposes? And it, when he's putting out the the game, you know, the the uh, the tests to to find these keys, he says these keys they're not just laying around somewhere; they're hidden. And where are they hidden? He says, in my mind. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, and so you have whole groups of people who dedicate their lives to going into this kind of bank of memories to put themselves inside the mind of the Creator. Mm -hmm. Um, And only from that perspective can one kind of unlock the mysteries or the keys to this world and kind of step into salvation. I I can't help but think, uh, put on the mind of Christ.
0: Huh. Now, see, that really strikes me, Father Mike, because let us go back to Ready Player One. How does he gain access to all three keys what does he actually uncover his mind yeah to some degree but also what was a part of every key his relationships it wasn't until he understood holiday in light of the other right that he was able to unlock the clue if you will to get to the key yeah so here we were just talking about this cyber crush of hacking the heart to get to the mind well Guess what? I think Wade Watts was hacking Holiday's heart to get to his mind, which was ultimately bringing him back to his relationship with others. Fascinating.
1: What's very fascinating to me along this track, this motif of Halliday as the creator and the mind and the heart, the end of the movie throws you a curveball in the sense that mm. we meet Halliday, and yep. the question yeah. is, is he dead or is he alive? Yeah. And, you know, just to take this kind of whole system... Is he just kind of like the, uh, the clockmaker, watchmaker God who set this all in motion and now it's yours and figured out? Or is he still present to and involved in his creation? Mm-hmm. Is Halliday... We're left with the question, is Halliday still a part of this world?
0: Yeah. Which, as we were talking about this earlier, was very provoking for me because the book does not suggest that at all. Mm. <laughs> the book is not offering you a question. It's making a statement. God doesn't exist. Interesting. And yet in the movie, something else is going on. Yeah, interesting. Um, and, and the end of the movie certainly leaves it out there, yeah. um, if you do put this within the context of salvation. And I do think that it's a fair reflection that we're having, that to some degree there's something to be said about this virtual reality needing to be redeemed, needing to be oh, sanctified. Yeah.
1: And I'm not making this capital S salvation as in... No, uh, no, 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 but, no. But, I... there, but there is this parallel. Yes. This is a world that needs to be saved, yes. and there is a creator. Yeah. And the question is, uh, who has a design to save it? Yeah. And, and the question is very much put out there, is this man dead or is he alive? Yeah. And is he still uh, a part of of this world that he's made?
0: Well said, Father Mike. With the remainder of our time, I wanted to touch upon this last quote uh, from Wade Watts. It's actually one that comes to us early on in the movie. He says, the limits of reality are your own imagination. Now, initially, we are made to interpret this as Holiday's imagination, creating this extraordinary oasis, this place to go, this virtual reality, and ultimately, uh, more of us ought to be thinking like Holiday. And our reality will expand. And here we are, (laughs) at the end of this movie, maybe thinking about that quote a little differently. Because if you were to closely examine how Wade Watts really was able to work through uh, all of these clues and come to receive the keys, he was drawing from who he was. And I make this point, Father Mike, because I believe we ought to see something. That imagination, as it's tied to the intellect and certainly the memory, is a faculty of our soul. And we should never see imagination opposing reality as we know it, what is real or mortality, but ultimately enriching it. St. John Paul II would like to say we should imagine more, we should wonder more. So here we are often thinking about Father Mike that, yeah, if we imagine how we could advance, we'll become more human But in reality, and I say that intentionally, it's in the light of our mortality that our imagination really serves our humanity, our humanness. Jesus shows us what it means to be fully human, and that is always cast in the light of what is finite, no, infinite.
1: So the irony of this movie, for all of its uh, atheistic design, it betrays itself because it, it It kind of uh, puts flesh on the bone in terms of it the does. human desire. It for does. The, I absolutely. mean,
0: out from my reflections last night into this morning, even yeah. on to air right now, I'm just, I'm struck by that salient truth that we keep on going back to. You've already mentioned it, that no matter how much you try to get away from it, we live in a Christ-haunted culture.
1: Yeah, and, and to your point, and, and in terms of this idea of what's real is whatever I can imagine, that... There's this ongoing butting our head against the the finitude of human nature that I should be able to be whatever I want that there's no confines in terms to what makes me me, and uh, I I'm reading a book right now about uh, John Duns Scotus, oh goodness. philosopher yeah. and theologian, and Francisca. his his great uh, idea of tr- of the infinity of God is not that infinity means more. He says infinity is not breadth, it's depth. Yeah, he yeah. uses the image he he uses the image of like. Uh, the flashlight versus the laser. He says the laser is not more stuff, it's more intense. Yeah, yeah. That that real human transcendence, real human freedom uh, is not so much a question of not having limitations or not having a set nature to which I can say I ought to be something else. Yeah. Real human freedom has to... Real human imagination has to do with a whole different quality of living inside of the confines of what makes me me
0: i love that you just went to Dun scotus and maybe we'll just close with that who would have thought ready player one <laughs> for the great franciscan Dun scotus all right father mike can you close us with a word of prayer
1: father you continue to call us to love you and in, in the context of what's real about who we are and who we who you are and so we ask for your blessing the father and the son and the holy spirit
0: amen, amen. thank you father